they're going to score. It's just can their defense be good enough to make them better than 9-3 and three, where I have them right now? I have my doubts. I think the schedule is very difficult, and I love the Pac-12 this year. There's going to be carnage from top to bottom. Hello and welcome to Always College Football. Today is a very special edition of Always College Football. It's July 11th. Why is that a big deal? Because 7-Eleven, why not? Uh, also, uh, very excited about the possibility of Media Days just a couple days away. Man. We got it coming up, and we got so much Media Day action, the unofficial start to the college football season. It's here. We did it. Not really. It still feels like we're forever away. I believe it's like 46 days until week zero. So we still have a while, but talking season is fun. And we're going to be in Nashville next week for the SEC Media Days. We'll be covering some of these media days over the next few weeks. So a lot to look forward to, a lot to be excited about. But today, I'm even more excited because we get to unveil our way too early preseason top 25. Now, we're not going to do the whole list today. We're going to do 25 through 11, give a breakdown of each team, try to get you some names that you might need to know, some faces that you might need to know. Maybe you forgot that this coach went there, this coach went there. So we're going to do our way too early. Don't hold us to it, top 25, because these are subject to change. I'll explain again here in a minute why, but it's a fun day. Let's have some fun with it. Maybe you hate where your team's at. Perfect. Tell us. Tell us in the reviews, but don't leave us a, like a one-star review because you don't like where your team is at right now. Maybe you'll like where they're at when we kick things off here at the end of August. But if you could, please continue to leave us reviews. It's been amazing. We so appreciate you guys leaving this review. Saw one just the other day. Really appreciate the, the kind words. I believe it was called Golf Forever. So that was, I love that name first and foremost. Second of all, it meant a lot to us to say that best of luck in year number two. We are officially on year number two. We've been doing this for one year and six days. So we appreciate you being with us. And if you could continue to tell your friends, leave a rating on wherever it is you get your podcast, hit the thumbs up, the like button on the ESPN YouTube channel. You can also subscribe to ESPN's College Football YouTube channel, and you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast. So if you could just take a couple minutes to do that for us, it'd mean an awful lot. So let's not waste any additional time without much further ado. It's the preseason, don't hold us to it, it's written in pencil with a nice big eraser, top 25 for always college football. The always college football preseason top 25. Now, with respect to the 25 teams that have been picked out already, this is merely a placeholder. We're going to operate as if we are the college football playoff committee. I am taking a snapshot here today in the middle of July of where I think these teams stack up. I also can acknowledge that a week from now, maybe a quarterback competition gets decided. Maybe a player emerges. Maybe a player enters the portal. Maybe there's an injury. All of these teams in this particular order are subject to change. We will do hold me to them when we get to August, but for now, it's exactly where we stand. We're going to start at 25. We're going to work our way all the way down to 11 today. And later this week, we'll present teams 10 through 1. You guys ready? Let's do it. At number 25, the first of many that will be included from this particular conference, it's the Pac-12, it's the Oregon State Beavers. Now, a lot of people look at Oregon State and say, well, you know what? That's that's probably actually a little bit low based on what they did last year. They now have addressed some of the things potentially at quarterback DJ Uwe Angelale transfers in from Clemson. He gets a fresh start. You're going to notice, I think probably throughout several of our breakdowns in the next six weeks, fresh starts, I feel like are good for players. 
You might hear me talk glowingly about Graham Mertz with Florida. You might hear me talk glowingly about DJ Uwe Ungalale. I think the quarterback position at Oregon State, I'm not going to say it's been a challenge, but it was certainly not a strength the last couple of years. The run game has been the strength. And if you look at where they're at, they returned four of their five starting offensive linemen from a year ago. They have Damian Martinez. Last year was the Pac-12 offensive freshman of the year. Six consecutive 100-yard games and averaged over six yards a carry. Pretty good starting point if you're a run-heavy attack. Couple that with what might be an improved passing attack downfield. DJ Uyunglele did not do a great job working the middle of the field, did not do a great job of continually getting through his progressions. But one thing he did well at Clemson was downfield throwing. If you can get those safeties to bite up, you could be in pretty good shape given the threat that Oregon State has with the offensive line and the run game. You look at their defense. Defense should be pretty good. They were one of the worst just a few years ago. Now they're one of the best, partly because of the complimentary football that they play. When you think about where Oregon State is, okay, and just the the way that they're able to attack. Now, if they can get a lead, they'll crush you. Are they capable of coming from behind? We saw last year. I believe they ran it 14 consecutive plays to erase a significant deficit, but I digress. The defense can pin their ears back now. That's been one thing that's been a little bit of a question. They went out and they got a transfer from Wyoming. Omotosho, he should be a guy that might be a difference maker off the edge. Had six and a half sacks last year for Wyoming. And if he can replicate that success in the Pac-12, then that might be significant. They're really deep at safety. You got to love what they bring back with Oladapo at safety. If Alton Julian maybe the best safety prior to the knee injury last year. If he can excel, they might be in a really great spot. I think this team is in prime position to potentially chase another 10-win season. I do think the Pac-12 is remarkably deep. That's part of why I have them at 25. I don't try. I really don't try to forecast what wins and losses are going to be. I do the best I can. Obviously, it's a factor. But I look at the depth of the Pac-12, and I think if the Pac-12 was a little more thin, I'd have Oregon State a little higher. Unfortunately, it's crazy deep. That's why I have them in at number 25. At number 24, last year's college football national championship game runner-up, the TCU Horn Frogs. A little lower than most teams, most people will have TCU going to the, this upcoming season. Partly because I think last year's team had a little magic. I'm not sure I need to necessarily describe that to anyone that's watching this program. They know that that team last year found lightning in a bottle on more than one occasion. They bring back Chandler Morris. He was the starting quarterback going into the season last year. I think he's got a chance to be really good within the system. Quarterback position is not a concern. I do have some concerns about Chandler Morris's ability to stay healthy. He's got to be able to stay upright. He's got to stay on the field. They do have to replace some top running backs and top receivers, plus a couple offensive linemen. This is a pretty significant adjustment for TCU, given what they lost last year. Now, they have Trey Sanders coming in. He's a transfer from Alabama. They have JoJo Earl, another transfer from Alabama. He'll be at wide receiver. Trey Sanders will be at running back. They also have a couple of decent guys at back as well. Emony Bailey, Trent Battle. They're pretty decent at running back. I think they'll be just fine at that position. Will they be able to replace what they had last year? Probably not, but I do think in a committee type of approach, they have a chance to be pretty salty. Quentin Johnson will be almost impossible to replace. 
I, I don't care what anyone's. The guy was just a mismatch with his length and was really difficult to cover, not just in the red zone, but you saw in the playoff game against Michigan, the guy could take it the distance as well. He's going to be very difficult to contain. Now, they do have some solid length coming back at wide receiver with Savion Williams. Had 29 catches a year ago, might be a pretty good piece. They also have good option at tight end with his length and Jared Wiley. He's coming off a pretty good season as well. Was at Texas prior to that. And then they get the Oklahoma State transfer, J.P. Richardson, who should be pretty solid in the slot to go along with JoJo Earl. So offensively, they should be pretty good. And the defense, looking at last year, they were 95th nationally in total defense. They also lost some key pieces in the secondary. They have some young players that they're excited about. They have, obviously, to replace two excellent corners. And in that league, given that it's probably going to be a league that does feature the wide receiver spot and the passing game, they're going to need to make sure they continue to take a step. Here's my problem with TCU. I think everyone's got them circled this year. They caught people by surprise last year. They won't do so in 2023. They're going to get every team's best shot given the success they had last season. And I think some of those close games that bounced their way last year might overcorrect this year. I'm thinking eight and four this year, year for the Horn Frogs, which would have them there in the low 20s at 24. At number 23, expecting a bounce back season for the Oklahoma Sooners. I know that this feels like it's not a significant leap, but like TCU, I think Oklahoma is a nine, nine and three, eight and four football team in this vicinity, which would have you in the low twenties. I love their quarterback. We've talked about Dylan Gabriel in the past. I think he's amazing. If he can stay healthy, they'll be in great shape. The thing is, if he gets hurt, they now have a capable backup. And Jackson Arnold, who's a true freshman, might be able to step right in in the event in which Dylan Gabriel isn't available all 12 weeks of the regular season. I think they have a worthwhile successor waiting in the wings. They're very excited about him. I am as well. They have some really solid weapons at wide receiver. You got Jaleel Farouk, who's back. You also have the Michigan transfer, Andrell Anthony. I think he's got a chance to have a really nice piece and really nice uh, a really nice featured role within this offense as well. And the offensive line will likely be a strength heading in to year number two for Brent Venables. But the big question is, how much better will the defense get? Last year, 99th nationally in allowing 30 points per game. They finished 122nd basically in, in the country overall defensively. Not ideal. And obviously the performance against Texas is the one get gets highlighted. But they have really not played great on all three levels defensively in quite some time. So there has to be a bit of a culture shift. Now, they did a pretty good job of going out and identifying a couple key pieces in the portal. I'm excited about what Desan McCullough might ultimately do as that edge rusher. He transfers down from Indiana. He might be a bell cow from day one for the Sooners on defense. And then you bring back Danny Stutzman as well. I think Stutzman's a guy that's going to be super productive. And you think about Venables when he was at Clemson. If he has a good, sure-tackling inside linebacker, they're usually in pretty good shape. He's got to play big for them if they're going to grow on that side of the ball. Look, 6-7 and seven last year was not a real indicator of, I think, where this team is going. It was a little bit of a blip. I'm not going to sweat where Oklahoma was last year. I think the arrow is pointing up based on how they bottomed out last year and really believe that they'll take strides in the right direction here in 2023. Let's go to number 22, I have the UTSA Roadrunners. Now, different conference. Of course, back-to-back -back Conference USA Championships, 
They now are setting their sights on a third straight conference title, but can they do it in a more difficult league? We know the American Athletic Conference. Mike Oresco has longly coined it as the Power Six, fair or unfair. I don't know if you agree with that, disagree with that, doesn't matter. This is a step up in competition. No denying that. Frank Harris is back, though. He might be the best player in the program's history. Five seasons as a starter through for over 4,000 last year and 32 touchdowns. And on defense, they have a couple good pieces as well. Brandon Brown is back. Jamal Ligon is back. It's a really, really solid back seven. Now, what can they do up front? Can Trey Moore be the guy that continues to excel on the end of the line of scrimmage? Eight sacks last year, 18 tackles for a loss last year as a freshman. He's back. Can he take a step up? Because he's going to have to against increased level of competition. I think UTSA right now, according to my rankings, the top team in the group of five. Even though it's a different league, I think they bring back enough to be able to compete against the best teams at that level of football. Let's go to 21, another Big 12 team. As you can see, the Big 12, I'm expecting carnage. And I think that it is adequately reflected in my top 25. At 21, I have the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Offensively, don't have a ton of concerns. Okay, I think they're going to have a big leap this year. Now, Zach Kitley, the offensive coordinator, everyone that knows the sport like the back of their hand have long praised what this guy does on the offensive side. Now, they have a pretty good thing to build on with what they did last year. Finished second in the Big 12 offensively, 461 yards a game. They also finished fourth in scoring, averaged nearly five touchdowns a game at 34.2 points per game, which is rock solid. Now the offensive line should be a little bit better. They bring in a solid transfer player and rusty stats from Western Kentucky, but it's really going to come down to whether or not they can stay on the field. They're going to go for it a lot on fourth down. They're going to roll the Dyson off a lot. This is a momentum team. And if they get going in the beginning of the season, remember they have some big non-conference games early, they might find themselves in a great position come October and potentially November to continue to move forward. Obviously, Joey McGuire is doing all the right things. People are fired up about what they've accomplished already. Now, defensively, we all know what they had last year at the end of the line of scrimmage in Tyree Wilson. The guy was off the charts good. Will they be able to replace his productivity? I'm not sure I'm anticipating that, but you do bring back some veteran guys in Jalen Hutchings and Tony Bradford who combined for 82 tackles and seven sacks last year. So these are guys that have played at a high level already within the Big 12. They also, I think, are going to be pretty dang salty offensively. So this doesn't have to be a defense. It's pitching shutouts. They have to be bend, don't break. And when you get in the red zone, hey, force them to a field goal and you're off and running. I don't think I've been as confident about Texas Tech in quite some time. I, I feel very good about what they have at quarterback and Tyler Shuck. I feel very good about their personnel offensively. I think they have a lot of athleticism on that side of the ball. I also think defensively, while they do lose a complete impact, game-breaking difference maker along the defensive line, I think they bring back enough veteran leadership to be able to keep them afloat in a league that will be about scoring points. You're going to face some great offenses. You don't have to hold them to 28. If you can hold them to 30 and less, and your offense can go get you 40, 42, you're cooking with gas, man. That's why I'm high on the Red Raiders this year. I have them in my top 25 at number 21. Moving out west yet again, the Pac-12, UCLA. Nobody's talking about the Bruins. Nobody. Everybody's talking about SC 
Everybody's talking about Utah. Everybody's talking about Oregon. Everybody's talking about Washington. Do not sleep on the UCLA Bruins. Now, are they going to be able to replicate the success they had running the football last year? I cannot tell you that without a shadow of a doubt. Zach Charbonnet is great, but hey, guess what? In comes Carson Steele, a guy that's had a lot of success in the past playing in the MAC. So he's played high-level football before. He's seen quality competition before. Will he be able to continue on? They also lose Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Now, he was up and down from time to time as a starting quarterback, but these last couple of years, things really started to move in the right direction. Made good decisions, did a pretty good job of kind of hanging in the balance. Now it's really going to be about can they adequately replace his productivity with Colin Schley, the transfer, or will it be the true freshman Dante Moore. I'm not sure anybody at this point knows exactly what's going on, but either way, you're looking at a team that is going to be able to run the football. Now, you look at the guys that are back, a ton of pieces. They also went out and did some good things in the portal. Already referenced Carson Steele. Already met, uh, referenced Colin Schley. But don't forget about J. Michael Sturdivant as well. This guy is some serious length on the perimeter, and they found some success with the tall wide receivers in the past. One thing I'm concerned about is offensive line. That's been a position of significant strength for UCLA the last couple of years. Had tremendous continuity last year and the year before. Will they be able to adequately replace some of those pieces with transfer guys? Spencer Holstage from Purdue. You also have uh, Kadre Kuta from ODU. But you have the center back, which helps a lot when you're using tempo and you're running kind of a complex scheme. Duke Clemens is back at center. That should help. An awful lot. Now, defense for UCLA, Ben, don't break, man. Not really that dissimilar than what we've talked about already for the last couple minutes. A bunch of guys that are really, really solid, but certainly unspectacular. That is okay. They were the only team in the FBS not to give up a single play over 50 yards. They don't give up big plays, but then again, they ranked 110th nationally and allowing gains of 10 plus yards. Okay. So they got to do a better job, maybe not allowing the home run, but they got to kind of limit some of the opportunities there along the front. They've kind of mixed up what they're doing defensively. Danton Lynn, now the new defensive coordinator, is from the Baltimore Ravens. He's 33 years old, comes from a coaching family, and I think will have an opportunity to take advantage with some of the guys that they have. Now, Liatu Latu is great. The Murphy twins, both Grayson and Gabriel, they're great. And then you, of course, have the transfer from Bowling Green. That's Jordan Anderson as well. So I think UCLA, pretty good pieces on both sides of the ball. The one question mark being the offensive line. But with the scheme they run, I think that group has a chance to still be very good. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. 
Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. In at 19 is Kansas State. What will they do coming off of the Big 12 championship run last year? Now, it wasn't pretty in the bowl game, but when you take into account just how this team grew and how this team improved last year, I think they're going to continue to be a serious problem for every single team in the Big 12. They bring back Will Howard. When they made the leap to him and said, this is his team, it completely adjusted who they are. He's big, he's physical, and he makes great decisions. Over 1,600 yards passing last year, 15 touchdowns, just seven games. So this is a guy that I think has a really, really high ceiling and is probably only just scratching the surface. I know he's fourth-year player, but still just kind of scratching the surface of what he might ultimately become. Now, you do have to replace Deuce Vaughn. Nearly 2,000 yards from scrimmage last year will be almost impossible to probably get that done. But can they do it with a committee type of approach? DJ Giddens, what will he do now with increased playing time? You have the Florida State transfer, Sean Ward, who I really like, by the way. I think he kind of got lost in the shuffle. We all know what happened with Florida State and Trey Benson's emergence and Lawrence Toafili's emergence. Sean Ward kind of got pushed to the side, but it wasn't because he wasn't effective. I think he's a very effective player and just now gets an opportunity, I think, to continue to grow and maybe get a few more carries as a result. I think the offensive line should be pretty dang good considering the fact that everybody's back. That was a strength last year. I'd be surprised if it wasn't a strength again. I think they do have some impact players at wide receiver potentially. Maybe Keegan Johnson, the transfer from Iowa, is a guy to keep in mind. RJ Garcia appears prepared to increase his level of productivity as well. And then on the defensive side, you have Daniel Green decide to come back. This is significant. My goodness. I mean, this is a guy. Now, they lost some good pieces up front along the defensive line. Some really good pieces, and those guys will not be easy to replace. But when you have a guy like Daniel Green, you're in a great position to be successful. The linebacker core as a whole should be rock solid. I already mentioned Green, but don't forget about Austin Moore. Had a career-high 87 tackles last year and might be in a great position to actually increase what he might be able to do. So they have good pieces up front, maybe not quite the game changers that they had a year ago, but Khalid Duke, Nate Matlock, these are guys that have played before and might continue to play at a pretty dang high level. They do lose a lot of pieces in the secondary, and you know in the Big 12, if you've lost a bunch of pieces up front, you can probably get away with it, but losing a bunch of pieces in the secondary, not ideal. So they're going to have to address that concern, but the sky's the limit, I think, for Kansas State. Do I think playoff is within reach? No, I'm not going to go that far, but I do think culturally... There are a few teams that know how to set the tone from a physical standpoint. They are one of them. And I believe that Chris Kleiman's group will continue to be scrappy and continue to play really good football. Very optimistic about what they're going to do this year. They come in at number 19. And a little bit of a surprise, my number 18 team is a team that was way up in the top 10, way up in the top five, sniffed a playoff spot a year ago. I think they might come back to earth just a little bit. Not to the extent in which they're going to fall off the face of the earth, but I do believe the Tennessee Volunteers are poised for maybe just a little bit of a correction based on what they did last season. Now, I love Joe Milton's arm talent. I think he played great in the bowl game. I think he played great against Vanderbilt. I'm cautiously optimistic that he'll play great all season long this year. But there are questions for me. You lose the Bolitnikoff award-winning wide receiver. You also lose another 
big body wide receiver. I know he wasn't always available last year, but either way, this was a crazy good wide receiver core and an offensive line too that I think was really underappreciated. Now they lose their top two offensive linemen. Another situation that I don't think is necessarily going to be super easy to replace. I do think though, they have some good pieces offensively. Brew McCoy, I think he's got all American potential. I really believe that. I've I've believed that from the day he walked on campus, wherever he started out, was it Texas, was it SC, wherever he started out, you've believed basically that Brew McCoy's got all world potential. Had 667 yards last year. He's probably going to be that big body weapon that's going to get a lot of looks in the red zone. You bring back Squirrel White, who I think is really solid as well, great speed, and then you have some really solid running backs in Jabari Small and Jalen Wright, Dylan Sampson. That's a trio of very solid pieces. Now, will any of those three accelerate to the top of the SEC? I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be set up for them to do so, but this will be a group that has some firepower. But they talk about, hey, we can replace the speed of Jalen Hyatt. I, I don't know if you can. I, I have questions about that. And then on the defensive side, there were notable improvements from 21 to 22. I think they got a chance to be pretty dang good on the defensive side. Aaron Beasley, really, really great bowl game. I think he's got a chance to be an all-SEC type of player this year. Danico Slaughter out on the perimeter. He's got a chance, I think, to be pretty, pretty solid as well. You bring in that linebacker, Keenan Peely, who has 190 career tackles, bring in great, great, veteran presence there. Assuming he's up to speed with where they're at, they might give up a little in athleticism based on what they had last year. But last year, let's be honest, the middle linebacker caused as many headaches as he made great plays. On the other side too, Gabe, uh, Judy Lolly from BYU as well. These guys are guys that have played a lot of football. They know what it's supposed to look like. Defensive back, you have some solid pieces at the nickel spot. Tamarian McDonald is back there in the slot. He should do a pretty good job. I mean, look at the slots that he's going to have to face in the SEC East. There's a bunch of good ones. So that is a really premier position right now, in my opinion, in the SEC. Good pass rushers up front. Tyler Barron's back. Roman Harrison's back. Amari Thomas is back. A lot of guys that I think have a chance to be legitimate all SEC types of players. I think the team's going to be around 9-3 and three this year. Georgia's going to be tough naturally. Bama's going to be tough naturally. There will be a few other games on the schedule that will be very difficult for the Vols, but either way, I think 9-3 and three following up and further justifying how good last year's season was is one heck, of a, uh, one heck of a start. I have them at number 18 right now. At number 17, the Oregon Ducks. Now, Bo Nix was a completely different player in 2022 than he was in 2021 and prior to that. Clearly had a great feel for what they wanted to be offensively. Of course, he loses his offensive coordinator, but I'm not going to sweat it. He wasn't really healthy down the stretch. It's one of those situations, if he was at 100% all the way down the stretch, would they have potentially gotten to the college football playoff? Would they have taken care of business against Oregon State? Would they have taken care of business against Washington Huskies, who they had a lead against in the final three minutes of the game? Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but you got Bucky Irving back. You got Noah Whittington back. You got a really solid duo of backs that contributed at a really high level in 2022. You also think there's going to be some portal additions that might burst onto the scene. 
Treshawn Holden's there from Alabama, big body possession wide receiver. Tez Johnson comes up from Troy, a guy that did a lot of really nice things for the Trojans last year en route to what was a terrific season for Troy. And then along the offensive line, one of the biggest transfer portal additions in the entire country is a Johnny Cornelius. He transfers from Uri, Rhode Island. He's a really, really big body, athletic, physical talent along the offensive line. So that could be a position that is in great shape. Now, we all know what happened in the first week of the season last year for Oregon's defense. But other than that, man, there were some pretty good things that were done in the final 11 games. It wasn't perfect, of course. It wasn't ideal, but they added key pieces in the portal. You go out and get Justin Jacobs. You go out and get Connor Scholl. You go out and get Kyrie Jackson from Alabama. These are guys that can immediately change the front seven defensively, and Kyrie with his length at corner, he might be a legitimate difference maker. You go get Jordan Birch, who's going to come off the edge there for the defensive line. I think that this defense is pretty dang solid. The problem is it's a bunch of transfers. So I'm. it's not that they can't play at a high level, but man, when you throw all these different pieces from all these other places, Evan Williams from Fresno State, Tysheem Johnson from Ole Miss. I mean, these guys are coming from all over the place. None of them ever played together. What's the continuity like? Is there going to be continuity? Those are questions. But either way, talking about a team that won 10 games in the Holiday Bowl last year, pretty good start in year number one for Dan Lanning. Now, week one, take that away. Think about how good the season really was if you take out the game against Georgia. And ultimately, Georgia went on to win the national championship and smoked a lot of people in the process. So I don't think there's any shame in losing badly to Georgia in week one. What I was more impressed with was how they played down the stretch. And if you don't have a couple get away down there, down the down to the end of the season, you might have been in prime position to do some special things in year number one. Oregon takes a slight step this year. Not quite where they want to be just yet, but I have them in. At number 17, at number 16, a team that I'm really bullish on, a team that I think has a crazy high ceiling, that's the Texas A&M Aggies. Now, everyone's going to look and say, well, what about last year? I mean, they went five and seven, first losing season for the Aggies since 2009. Didn't score very well, only 22.8 points a game, 101st in the country, lost five games by six points or fewer. I, I understand all these different statistics that would lead you to think that last year's A&M team was terrible. There were definitely some forgettable moments. There were also some things that you take away from AM last year and say, man, how many teams in the country were as young as AM that went through as much adversity as AM that had position players that were expected to be game changers that ultimately didn't do a whole lot or they got banged up or they got injured? When Devon A. Chain was available, they were a different team. So when you take all that into account, Connor Wigman, he wasn't expected to be the starter last year. He was at the end of the season, looked pretty dang good in the process, played only five games, but you look at what they had, things were pretty good when he was under center. Anaya Smith will return from an injury, one of the more versatile weapons in the SEC. You bring back Evan Stewart and Moose Muhammad, that could make up one of the best receiving cores in the Southeastern Conference. Behind LSU, it's kind of tough to kind of sort them all out, but AM certainly in the mix with some of the weapons that they've added. There's a little bit of uncertainty at running back. I already referenced Devon A. Chain. Who's going to be the guy that can ultimately replace him? Will it be the five-star Ruben Owens? Will it be Amari Daniels? Will it be Le'Veon Moss? These are all questions that need to be figured out, but either way, they have some talent in the backfield. It's just a little bit less experienced than you would like. You look at the front. Layden Robinson last year was supposed to be an all-SEC player at guard, maybe an all-American contender at guard. Didn't play very well. The tackles didn't play very well. They have to be 
better up front offensively. Ruben Fatherly, a tackle, didn't have a great year. That group needs to come together and they better play at a high level because if if you're going to compete for SEC championships, and that's ultimately Jimbo Fisher's job, that's ultimately Jimbo Fisher's goal, that group has to be a position of strength. They were a liability most of the year in 2022. You bring in Bobby Petrino, he's going to help alleviate some of those things by being a little more creative offensively. And I think the match, even though it feels like oil and water, I actually think it's going to work out quite well. It's going to be a system of checks and balances between Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher. And I do believe Jimbo Fisher is wanting to hand everything to Bobby Petrino and he can operate as the CEO, not just throughout the week, but also on game day as well. When you think about what DJ Durkin has back on defense, they have a possible, possible game-changing front. You know, McKinley Jackson, Fadil Diggs, guys that missed a bunch of time last year, Walter Nolan, Shamar Turner, Shamar Stewart. These are guys that might be game changers. Might be. I think Walter Nolan's got a real chance to take a huge step here in 2023. But you look at the past defense last year, there were a lot of things that were pretty dang good. Damani Richardson back at safety. You bring back Jarden Gilbert in the back end as well, who I think had a pretty dang good season under the circumstances last year. Then you got Tyreek Chappell. Then you have Tony Grimes. That's a transfer from North Carolina. This secondary group, maybe not quite as good as a year ago, but they should be in a pretty good spot, assuming the pass rush can provide for them what I anticipate them providing. AM, I think eight and four, nine and three is about the right spot for them, which would have them in at number 16. Nine and three, a little bit more likely when you're looking at where they're at. And number 15, one of the sleeper teams in college football this year for me, the Ole Miss Rebels. Jackson Dart, assuming he can fend off Spencer Sanders, supposedly has had a fire lit underneath him. Well, he's now going to complement what is a dynamic run game in Quinshawn Judkins. I think Quinshawn Judkins is amazing. I really believe that. I think he's one of the best players in America regardless of position, and will only be better here in year number two. But if they can get the quarterback spot figured out, they're in a great spot with what they have on the perimeter. You go out and get Chris Marshall. You go out and get Trey Harris. You go out and get a couple other pieces that are legit. I, I think that when you look at their wide receivers, Malik Heath's in, Jonathan Mingo's in, uh, that's, not, I, that's not ideal to lose those two guys, obviously. I didn't mean in, out. They're out. <laughs> Excuse me, I misspoke for a moment. You lose your top two guys at wide receiver, but it's okay. You've gone out and you've identified a couple of pieces that might be able to step right in. You also look at the tight end position. Now, a lot of people aren't going to sit there and say, well, it's, you know, it's, it's Lane Kiffin. I mean, how much is he going to rely on the tight end? I, I don't anticipate that being a huge part, focal point of his offense. It hasn't been in the past. The two tight ends he has coming in are legit and might ultimately be big-time difference makers for the Rebels this year. Defensively is where you have some questions because it got off to a really good start last year. I mean, things looked pretty dang solid, but it kind of went a little sideways as the season went along. Gave up 35 points per game in the final seven games. Uh, most evident against Arkansas, in which they got run through like a hot knife through butter. Man, not ideal in that performance defensively at all. Now, they do have some talent. They have some good defensive ends to rely on and Jared Ivey and Cedric Johnson. You also have JJ Pegues, who's been there a while. Hopefully he can take the next step, but I love the transfers that they brought in. They brought in some really good pieces along the defensive front. And I think the back end will be benefited from what they're going to be doing structurally. I don't know if they're going to necessarily be a lockdown group, but 
If this offense could be as good as I anticipate, they have a chance to be very dangerous for every single team they play. They're in at number 15. At number 14, another sleeper team for me. This might be way too high. I'm rolling the dice with this one. I acknowledge it. I hope you'll at least show me a little grace if this thing goes off the rails because it certainly could. I'm taking the Wisconsin Badgers at number 14. Now, Phil Longo, the new offensive coordinator, completely altering the identity of what Wisconsin's been in the past. Now, when you bring the air raid or some variation of the air raid to Madison, Wisconsin, you're going to raise some eyebrows. Because <laughs> when that hire was first made, I'd be lying if I told you, man, I, I saw that coming. I didn't. I didn't at all. But I know that Phil Longo, whether it be at Ole Miss, whether it be at North Carolina, whether it be at his prior stop at Sam Houston State, this guy knows how to score points and he knows how to put a lot of strain on the opposing defense. He will likely do that now in Madison. I love their quarterback. I think their quarterback's the real deal. Now, people will look and focus on Tanner Mordecai's performance in the spring game. It wasn't great. It was far from ideal. This is a very expensive offense to learn. When I say that, it means it costs a lot of reps, a lot of play equity to get super comfortable running this offense. The good news is, guess what? In the summertime, there are no limitations about how often the quarterbacks and the wide receivers can go out there and throw routes on air. You can do so voluntarily all day long if you so choose. And knowing this is Tanner Mordecai's opportunity to play again in the Power Five. Remember, he started Oklahoma, went to SMU, now is up in the Big Ten at Wisconsin. I think they will take advantage of every single rep. And we know that this run game is still going to be really good. Don't think that Phil Longo is going to abandon the run. He's not. He wants to create balance and he wants to create strain by forcing you to take away one or the other, pass or run. If you choose to take away the pass, guess what? We're going to gash it with Braylon Allen and Chance Malusi. I think they're going to be really solid at running back and should be pretty solid along the offensive line. Will they be as good as they've been in the past along the offensive line? Probably not. But when you think about what they bring back on the defensive side, I think the defense in the front seven has a chance to be legit. Now, Mike Tressel comes in, going to be blending his scheme with what Jim Leonard did over the last couple of years. That 3-3-5 defense that they employed at Cincinnati is one that should be able to transition. You bring back Dr. Mehta at... That as the leading tackler at 95 tackles, might feature him kind of in the middle, off the ball, might feature him as a pass rusher. You can move him around and play with him because he's that kind of a player. They also think about how he was able to win in the pass rush last year. Maybe with more opportunities, he's only going to continue to become a much better player. Hunter Waller missed a bunch of time due to the leg injury last year, but hopefully he can come back and be that hybrid linebacker safety guy that can kind of play both and create some confusion for the opposing offense. Traditionally, though, when has Wisconsin ever been bad on defense? They're not going to be bad this year. I think they'll be really good this year. And I think this team, if they can continue to score a bunch of points, they should be in great shape. And I think they're going to score a bunch of points. And at number 13, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Now, I don't think there's been a time even... Look, I know that there's been good quarterbacks at Notre Dame in the last several years. They've had a lot of really good ones. But we're talking about Sam Hartman, a guy that statistically speaking is one of the best in the history of college football. Now, don't ask me. We're talking about guys that rank in the top 10 in touchdowns and yards and all this stuff. Like He's up there. So statistically speaking, he's one of the best quarterbacks we've seen play the game. All right? What will he do now with the Golden Dome? And I think this group has a really good piece. Look, we know they're not going to completely get away from who they are. Audric Estime is a power back. He's going to get downhill. They're going to be physical along the line of scrimmage. They got one of the best left tackles in America. I think they're going to still pound the football. The big question, the wideouts. I think that's the biggest question. 
Well, are any of the guys going to emerge and become a legitimate go-to dude? Is it going to be Jaden Thomas? Is it going to be Deion Colsey? Is it going to be Tobias Merriweather? Uh, is it, you look at those guys, you kind of think about, are they going to be able to take that step? Those are the big questions for me. Can they find a dependable go-to wide receiver because they're not going to have that tight end at the end of the line of scrimmage to get them out of trouble like they've had the last couple of years? Still going to be good at that position. Let's get it, not get it twisted. Notre Dame always got a good tight end. But will they be as good at wide receiver to put some fear in the defense as far as the vertical threat is concerned? You lose some key pieces up front, including Isaiah Foskey, never good on the defensive side, but they're pretty dang stout on defense. And they're going to continue to be stout on defense. Look, we know who they are. Uh, J.D. Bertrand's back. Jack Kaiser's back. Rock solid. You got Lee Fowl, Jalen Sneed. I mean, these are veteran guys that have played a decent amount of football. Then you look about their defensive tackles. Howard Cross, not the biggest guy in the world, but disruptive. Riley Mills, Gabriel Rubio. These guys are a pretty dang solid group. Now, are they going to be take over the game difference makers the way Foskey could be when he was given maximum effort every single snap? I don't know. But I do know that the sum will be greater than each individual part, potentially. And then in the back end, I think Benjamin Morrison's got a chance to have all-American caliber season. He's that good. And remember, that was just as a young player last year. Had six interceptions, including three against Boston College and two against Clemson. So that tells you all you need to know. This guy could take the next step, plus Cam Hart's in there as well. The secondary should be rock solid. So very bullish on Notre Dame, especially the play of their quarterback position. Last two before we shut it down for today. At number 12. Notre Dame's bitter rival, the USC Trojans, is a lot lower than a lot of people have them. I think last year was pretty dang remarkable. Caleb Williams, if he's as good as he was last year, this is going to be way too low. Way too low. But I still have questions about what they have on the defensive side of the football. And what are the odds? What are the odds this year they're going to continue to turn people over the way they did last year? Remember, they were plus 22 when it comes to turnover margin last year, they took the ball away from the opposing offense 29 times. All right. They were really just not very good though, when it came to getting stops. Now, if you can guarantee me that you're going to still turn people over at that high rate at that type of clip, then yeah, I'll be a lot more bullish on you, but I don't know if that is sustainable. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. We're going to find out really quickly. As far as their personnel is concerned, they go and get Bear Alexander. That was a massive get. He had a great national championship game for Georgia. He's going to be that guy, that difference maker in the middle of the defense. They have some other decent building blocks. You have a great safety in Kalen Bullock. You have a couple other good pieces in Eric Gentry, who has great length there at the linebacker spot. And I also am trying to figure out how they're going to fix the void of Tuli Pelotu. Like that guy did a lot for him, had 13 and a half sacks, and he is going to be a difficult guy to replace. Now, they brought in a bunch of guys on the portal, but none are going to be a guaranteed difference maker the way they were. Offensively, they're going to be fine on offense. Let's be real. like They're going to score a lot of points. They're going to be totally fine. So I'm not worried about that. We don't need to spend a lot of time talking about what SC might do on that side of the ball. Right, you got five stars all over the place, and you got the best quarterback in the country. They're going to score. It's just, can their defense be good enough to make them better than nine and three where I have them right now? I have my doubts. I think the schedule is very difficult and I love the Pac-12 this year. There's going to be carnage from top to bottom. You'll hear more on that again in a minute. And the final team that we'll do today at number 11, I have the Penn State Nittany Lions. Now, I love their tandem at running back. Absolutely love what Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen can provide at running back. I think that these guys... When given the open space, they're out. They're out the door. 
Can they create their own shot and do some of the things that I'd like to see them advance on? That's something that I'm still trying to quite figure out. But man, you give them this much room, they're out the gate. And I think that has a chance to only continue this year if the offensive line can take a significant step. Now, it's a veteran group, all right? Veteran group. You potentially have an NFL tackle and, and Fashanu. You have a couple other good pieces as well. I also have legitimate questions. I think they'll be able to run the football, but I do have legitimate questions at the quarterback spot. Everyone tells me how great Drew Aller is going to be. I hope he is. I really believe that. I really want him to be. I, I hope he's great. Not crazy athletic. I look last year at how many times the quarterback position had to move around and just buy a little extra time. That happened quite a bit. Will Drew Aller be able to do that the same way that Sean Clifford was able to do that last year? Now, Sean Clifford would make some boneheaded mistakes. There's no denying that. But he was, I think notoriously underrated. I really think he was a really underrated player, not a crazy superstar, but rock solid in his own right. And if they can figure out a way to keep Drew Aller upright, he's got more arm potential. He's got more arm talent, but it takes a little bit more to play the quarterback position at a crazy high level. And if he's not able to get the time necessary, then he might not be able to take it to the next step. But I love the offensive line's veteran presence. And I think they have a chance to take a step collectively as a group. Manny Diaz's defense, I thought they played terrific last year most of the time. They really did. You know he's going to come after you. You know he's going to heat you up. You know he's going to make life difficult on the opposing quarterback. And you look at what they bring back. Abdul Carter. I think he's got a chance to be a complete game changer. Really believe that. Think about what he was able to do last year. Six and a half sacks, 10 and a half tackles for loss. You have Curtis Jacobs as well, who decided to return after I think there was a moment where he was strongly considering going to the NFL. I, I do wonder a little bit about whether or not the secondary is going to be as good. I, I think last year's secondary was excellent. We all know where guys got drafted. I think Jair was amazing. We all we all know what they had at the perimeter. But either way, man, Kalen King is a is a headliner. I mean, this guy's a difference maker. So he's a guy that you need to keep an eye on. And Johnny Dixon will be in there as well. You got some great defensive ends in Isaac and Chop Robinson. So I think that all three levels of the defense for Penn State has a chance to be legit. And when you're sitting at number 11, we're talking 9-3, and 10-2. and two. That to me feels about right because to me, the gap between Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State is still there. Doesn't mean they can't close it. Doesn't mean they can't pull off an upset, but the gap still exists right now. That's why Penn State comes in on my top 25 at number 11. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
All right, awesome being able to break down some of these teams. Y'all were so close. We are so close. Are y'all as excited as we are? Because I I am like over the moon excited for this upcoming season. I think there's a ton of question marks. I think there's a ton of teams that, that I just listed off today. I mean, we just did 11 through 25. And if any of those 15 teams that we listed off today, if any of them made a run towards a college football playoff, I can't say I'd be that surprised. Like now with the portal and new additions and guys coming and going, you never know what teams might do. I mean, look at TCU. Just a year removed from firing their coach, in comes Sonny Dykes, waves the magic wand, boom, college football playoff national championship game. You never know. In today's day and age, you can go from worst to first or first to worst pretty dang quick. That is for sure. We will break down later in the week teams one through 10. And I'm sure there will be no disagreements whatsoever. We appreciate you so much taking the time over the last couple of weeks to leave us a rating, leave us a review. It helps the show out an awful lot. We can't tell you how much we appreciate it. If you can continue that, it means a lot to us here at Always College Football. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Jack, Jake, Mark, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.